Well, if you have a Bible, I would love for you to be finding uh, Psalm 23. Oh, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Amen. Uh, I, I, I could have sang five, eight, ten more songs. He's, he's glorious. And uh, that's clearly proclaimed here in uh, Psalm 23. I think I might have shared this a couple of Sundays ago. You'll have to forgive me because I've officially reached the age where I can't quite remember when and where I was when I uh, said certain things. So, uh, it's on uh, Instagram, probably around Father's Day. And I was just flipping through videos like you tend to do, and one came up that I wasn't expecting to have an effect on me in the way that it did. just had a little caption at the bottom, and the caption said, Man sees his dad for the first time in decades. That's, that's what the caption said. And so I started to watch the video, and it's a man probably in his early 50s, looks strong, definitely been hitting the gym. I mean, he looked like a serious guy. And he's walking up the driveway, and in the driveway, a car is parked, and the door of the passenger seat in the front opens up. The man doesn't know that it's his dad sitting in the passenger seat. So we're just kind of following along. I don't know all the background or details of what's going on here. I just know that when his dad stepped out of the car and turned around, this guy just broke. And he limped into his dad's arms and just sobbed. And I watched that video, and I didn't think it would affect me the way that it did. Uh, you know, my dad died when I was 15, and I guess I just haven't really thought about it much recently. Just that would be, I would, have probably, I would probably have the same response. I guess that's why the video affected me. So I guess my question is, was something broken in him or was something getting fixed in him? And I think, and maybe you can understand what I mean when I say this, is I think it's a little of both. Do you know what I mean? Like something was broken, but getting fixed at the same time. And the whole reason I'm sharing that with you is Psalm 23 is kind of, that's the trajectory. There are certain things that honestly have to be broken in our lives for us to get into the Father's presence. By that I mean we're sheep. We wander, we stray, and oftentimes it's not a comfortable something that gets us back to the Father. But if you can get there, you'll find that the only thing that heals you is your heavenly Father. That's what you're actually made for, y'all. You're made for, for this. An abiding relationship with your creator you can have everything in the world and lack that you'll be miserable but I'll also tell you you can have that and not one single thing in the world and your testimony would be he's my shepherd I shall not want it's the 23rd day of July in 2023, and we're in Psalm 23. I just kind of like the way that that lined up, so that's why I said that, and I'm going to invite you to stand right now, and we're going to read Psalm 23, and just so you know ahead of time, verse 5 is going to be our focus, but to get verse 5, we've got to be reminded of where we've been so far. So Psalm 23, the Lord 
Remember, big L, big O, big R, big D, the divine name of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we're, we're, we're praying to you in Jesus' name. The name of the King, the name of our Redeemer, the name of our Lord, the name of our Savior, the name of the one who speaks and storms cease, the one who shows up and demons flee, our, our King who... Uh, Demons fled from and children ran to. That's the name. That's the one in whose name we come. And we are asking you to do some things. Those living in darkness, I pray you would bring them into your glorious light. Those wandering, I pray the good shepherd would lead them home. And those who love you, know you, follow you, I pray you would edify them all the more so that we could be your witnesses to our neighbors and the nations. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Men. Well, of course, you uh, can be seated, and uh, I, I kind of want to pick up where we left off last week. We were in uh, chapter uh, 23, verse 4. Uh, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And just a quick reminder, you read through the psalm in verses 1, 2, and 3. The references to God are He. He makes me lie down. In verse 4, the he becomes you because, again, it's really through the valley of the shadow of death that the presence of God really becomes reality in your life if you're walking with him. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if your testimony is you're following the Lord right now, your testimony probably is he became real to you when you were in the valley of the shadow of death where you realize his presence is so precious. And then we got two things, a rod and a staff. And no surprise to you, I've never shepherded literally a day in my life, so I had to do some investigating, the ancient Near East shepherding, and any good shepherd would have two instruments, you already know what they are from the psalm, a rod and a staff. A rod is what the shepherd would use, because sheep go all over the place, but the sheep learn the shepherd's voice, and especially if you're walking through a valley, then you want to walk out of the valley together, and you do that with a rod. He would hold a rod out, and that's how he would count the sheep, right? The sheep he's wanting to guide so he can count the rod. I might have to do this at Centric Kid when we have our kids. And now we have all our kids. Let's all walk under the rod where I can count you as, as, as you go. So the rod is for counting. The staff is for protecting. Staff is a larger instrument. It's what you think. A shepherd's crook. So you fight off enemies and sometimes you grab, grab, grab the sheep out of the, out of the hole and get them going. So we ended not trying to stretch the metaphor too much. But if you hold a rod and then you hold a staff, you do get a cross. You do. And I can at least say this much, you are counted his in Christ through the cross. Have you come, have you come through that means to the Lord? And then it is a cross that defends us, corrects us, brings us home. My question this morning is, what is on the other side of the cross? If you come by faith in Christ crucified, what does the Lord have you for you on the other side? And here is the bombshell. You ready for it? He's prepared a table. How about that? That bless anybody this morning? If it doesn't bless you yet, my aim is by the end of the sermon, you will say, of all the things God could prepare for me, a table is best. Our question is, why? 
mean, have you ever read verse 5 and you just kind of scratch your head? I don't even really know what that means. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I mean, wouldn't you think if, if the metaphor is i got enemies attacking me, what do I really need? I don't need a table, right? Have you ever been on a battlefield and somebody just starts making a table? That seems odd, doesn't it? So it would be better said, we would, might think, he prepares a weapon for me. Or he prepares a wall or a, or a refuge. And the psalmist talks about that in other places. He's a refuge. But here, David says, you prepare a table. That's poetic language. And I do need you to know that where the Lord is ultimately desiring to lead you is to his table. Sheep will never get there on their own. Sheep, eyesight is too bad. Prone to stray, prone to wander. They're defenseless. They have to be led. You have to be led to the Lord's table. But guess what? Here's the good news. He can lead you to his table. This morning, if you could ask anything from God and he'd give it to you, what would it be? The all-knowing, all-powerful, utterly holy, full of love and mercy, creator of the universe. If you asked him, if you could give us anything that would be best for us, what would it be? And you know what his answer is? A table prepared by me for you. I got a picture I want to put on the screen. There it is. It's as simple as this. I went on Google, clicked images, and said family dinner table. That was one of the first images that came up. What, what is this for? Do you spend much time here? I mean, our culture, maybe not, right? Maybe your kitchen table is basically where the mail is, some kids' books are, and a pair of shoes. Maybe your shoes aren't on the table, but you know what I mean. Like, we're in a hectic culture. Run, run, run. Eat dinner, on the go. But we're here, David is talking, ancient Near East, tables matter then and there. And by the way, can I just say, tables matter now too. Not main point. I'm not going to emphasize this too much. But one of the significant deficiencies of our culture is we don't sit around tables like we should. Talk about that more as we go forward because... uh, this, this matters. Who sits around a table? Who sits at a table? Do you, do you have a seat at the table at your house? Like you always sit in the same place? We kind of have an argument sometimes at our house when we do sit around the table. Oh, that's, that's my seat, right? So you learn that you have a place at the table. This is where, this is where I sit. In, in, in a, in a, in a, around a table, this is real simple. We're not reinventing the wheel here this morning. Friends and family sit around the table. That's who sits at the table. It's about hospitality. And this beautiful picture, if you think about it for a moment, is you prepare a table. Do you think God does that well? Do you think he knows how to prepare a table? Friends and family sit around the table. Again, we we tend to be task-oriented, running around doing all sorts of things, getting our to-do list done. What do you do at a table? What should you do at a table? Maybe that's the better way of asking it. You're together. You connect, right? The old, the old uh, Bible word, so it's like a lot of Bible words, kind of loses its meaning because we use it a lot, but I'm not sure we know what it means. Fellowship happens at a table. To be unhurried at the table. 
One of the reasons so many people today say they feel isolated and alone is I think we traded in the table for the television. You know what I mean? But David's day, David's day wasn't like this. When David is writing Psalm 23, a table was significant. If you could sit at somebody's table today from your lifetime, who would it be? Maybe your grandma, you know, if you just say, man, if I go back in time and sit at grandma's table, that would be awesome. One of the first places that I ever in my life felt completely welcome was at my grandma's table. My granny, I can still remember, five, six, seven years old. I knew, I don't know how to say this other than this way, I knew instinctively I didn't have to earn a place at the table. Do you know what I mean? I had a place. She'd pull out the chair and she'd prepared. Think about what preparation. If you're going to show up for a meal or a a potluck or whatnot, there's different ways that you can prepare for that. Our hectic world, you know, I've noticed this in my lifetime. When I was a child and we went to the family reunions, everybody showed up with their special recipe and here's so-and-so's mashed potatoes. and Over the course of my lifetime, all that got replaced by takeout. You know what I mean? And we just hit the drive-thru, and then we got their fried chicken, and I'm just going to show. And we just hurry up and show. It, and, and, and you can kind of, there, there's a way that you could think about spiritual progression in our culture based on a table. You really can. So family and friends gather around the table. And in a healthy family, there's conversation, there's interest, there's love, there's connection, there is conversation, there's peace. That's what happens. That's, that, that is what happens at a at a table, able to sit at a table at ease, a place where you don't have to pretend. That's what we're talking about. A place you don't have to perform. The table, a place you could be at peace. Let, let me show you another table. Anybody's stress levels just go up? Told you about Benvenu Middle School last week. Uh, this can be a stressful place, right? When I, when I was in the fifth grade in the middle of the year, when on Christmas break and over Christmas break, winter break, we moved from Fayetteville to Rocky Mount, North Carolina. I hadn't made it to Benvenu Middle, the scene of so many of my nightmares yet. I was at Benvenu Elementary. And first day, kind of stressful. And then I can remember this so clearly about 10 a.m. in the morning, having gotten and met the principal, and here's your class, and here's your cubby, and here's your desk, it dawning on me, we go to lunch. Where am I going to sit? And I remember being in that line, and here's what I did. I tried to run out the clock. I'm just being honest. Now you go ahead. I haven't decided what I want. I'd kind of look around. Oh, I don't quite have my money, and I'm just scanning. I'm scanning. Now, and that, that, Picture, kids were at all the tables, and I'm just scanning, looking for one. Just one, I didn't want a yes face. I just wanted a maybe face. Like, yeah, you can probably sit here if you want. And you know how many I saw? Zero. None. Can I ask it this way? I mean, the Lord is looking at you. He is. What is your perception of that? Why do you think he's looking at you? He knows you. Knows everything about you. Can I tell you this? He's not looking at you to catch you. I caught you. He's looking at you to claim you. I've got a place. I got a place at the table. You are going to have to come through the cross. 
you hear it, you prepare a table. It's got to be the table he prepared. I think most of us, well, maybe not most of us, many of us are stuck in life asking God to come sit down at the table we prepared. And God, I got a place in my life for you if you meet these qualifications. Kind of if you do this for me, if you give this for me, and now we're back to performance and no peace. He prepared the table. Listen to the words of Jesus the night before he's crucified. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. Thomas, well, how do we know how to get there? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But you come by me, you got a place. I, I, I remember walking around with my little tray, and I don't even, I, 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 I'm, you know, must be one of those memories I just blacked out. I don't even remember where I sat that first day. But like most things in childhood, as it went on, it got a little bit better. But, but here, uh, let me put some words on the screen. We've seen these before, but you kind of gather around the table with me. Is, is This is what happens at a table. Num- number one, uh, we're going to talk about the things that everybody in the room, this is the state of your soul. This is what you long for. This is what you desire. Number one, what we'll call identity. What gives you your sense of self, self-worth? You know, I was thinking about it in high school, and maybe, maybe I don't want to psychoanalyze myself this morning in light of the move. And this is, You know what I was known for in high school? Being the funny guy in the class. You might not believe that. A little comment. My goal in life was to make my friends laugh. And that became my identity. You know, if there was ever a pause, I think most of my teachers learn. You've got to keep talking because if there's a little window, Brandon's going to say something, the class is going to laugh, and then we're off. You know, and that was just kind of my thing. I was just kind of in some, and, and, and unsanctified, kind of biting humor at times. Humor that could cut sometimes. But what's your, what, what's your identity? What are the things other people would say about you to describe you? What makes you, you? Now, real fast, we're going to see this in the life of David. It holds true. Every culture, every culture in the history of the planet tells you that for you to have significant value, you have to do certain things. You have to have your identity. In ours, it's usually the usual suspects. If you're attractive or if you got some money, or if you got a lot of education and you're successful, then you have value. God says you have value because he made you. The world says, you sit at my table, you got to do this, this, or this. God says, I did this so that you could have a place at the table. That's why it's totally different. So identity, and then second thing is security. Whatever it is that you say, this is, this is who I am. You can run for that question all your life. In fact, we're pretty good at that. We'll just watch, we'll just stream some more movies. We don't have to deal with these realities, right? Number one is identity, and number two is security. Meaning, once you've established this is my, just as an example, rich young ruler. His identity was what? He was a rich young ruler. All three of those terms have an expiration date on them, by the way. He was rich. That's not going to last. He was young. I can tell you that doesn't last. And he was a ruler. Somebody else was going to take that job after him. So those are bad things to find your identity in. But that's where his security was. So what did Jesus do? This is why Jesus did this, by the way. What's Jesus doing? Sell everything you got. Follow me. What is he saying? The core of himself. You got to change your identity. 
This is who you've been. This is where your security is. And here, do you know what? Do you know what it says? He wouldn't do it, and he went away sad. That's our next one, happiness. He went away sad. Because when you establish your identity in something other than Christ, you sentence yourself to sadness, discontent, anger, coveting, all of your days. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If the Lord is not your shepherd, if your shepherd is money, attractiveness, success, you'll always want. You'll always want. Identity, security, and happiness are to be found at the Lord's table. What would identity be? I got a place here. What would my security be? Nobody can take it from me. What would be my happiness? And really, happiness probably isn't the right word. What would my joy be? The one I'm sitting at the table with. That's in who I find my joy. So I'm going to give you a few things about the Lord's table as I've reflected on this verse this morning. i got four. We'll go through them quickly. Number one will be this. You can be near the Lord's table without being at the Lord's table. You can be near the Lord's table without being at the Lord's table. Look at with me in verse number four. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, right? So kind of the picture is there's a table, there's some enemies, and what I'm suggesting to you is you can exist kind of in between those two places. Like I know I got some real enemies in my life. I don't want to follow them. And the Lord's prepared a table, but it's like you haven't quite sat down. Do you know what I mean? I'll give you an example, another picture on the screen. Anybody know who this guy is? I apologize. The photo's not great because I'm the one that did the click. And you know, I, yeah, Anyway. Harry Truman. That's right. President of the United States, 1945-1952. Uh, one of my favorite books is David McCulloch's biography of Truman. I've read it several times, and I've been listening to the audio book. This is how boring a man I am when I go to the gym. Actually, it's not boring. I don't know why I insulted myself that way. I like it. Anyway, can I tell you some things about Harry Truman? His wife's name was Bess. His daughter's name was Margaret. Uh, he, he was born in uh, the late 19th century. It's pretty crazy. When he was born, most people who traveled around were still doing it on horses. When he died, we're in the atomic age. I mean, just think about that. How much change he saw in his life. He uh, opened, uh, well, he started as a bank clerk. That didn't work very well. So then he went to uh, the army during the First World War and was in the artillery. And then when he got home, he tried to open a, um, uh, a men's clothing business when the economy kind of crashed. He blamed those who were in office at the time. So he said, I'm going to get in politics. I'm going to clean this up. So he became a senator from Missouri. In 1944, Franklin Roosevelt's going to go for his fourth term, and he didn't really, kind of a lot going on at the time, if you know history. So when he got to the convention, they said, you just pick who you want to be the vice president, and I'm good with it. So some power players said, let's make it Truman. So Truman became vice president, elected in 1944. Franklin Roosevelt dies in April. So he's been the vice president like four months, and the Second World War, y'all, is going on. But within weeks, I mean, you just think about this. Within weeks, the war in Germany ends, and then there's the atomic 
a reality going on in the summer, and then victory, and then, uh, anyway, here, I, I'll stop talking about Harry Truman. Here's my point. I know a lot about Harry Truman. I've read his biography. I listened to books. I've listened to lectures. I don't know Harry Truman. Do you know what I'm saying? Never sat at his table. Here's what I'm getting at. Are you near the Lord's table or are you at the Lord's table? Friends, those are not the same things. You, you can kind of do what we're doing right now. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I can put my coat on, go to Sunday school, and you might be able to stand right here this morning and say, here's the storyline of the Bible. I can start in Genesis, I can end in Revelation. But I'm asking a little bit different have you ever sat at the Lord's table? Meaning, you have an actual abiding relationship with the Lord of such significance that it affects your life, not if transforms your life. The only reason there's an explanation for what you do with your money, what you do with your time, how you interact with other people in your relationships is you sit at the Lord's table and he's more precious to you than anything else. There's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone at the table. You're with people you know. And it's the table he has prepared. I think a lot of times, again, we want to have room for God at our table. If I can just be in charge of the placemats and the settings and the menu. I want to decide what I want my life to look like and then say, God, please bless that. Friends, that's not the same as seeking out what God blesses and saying, I'll do that. You can be near the table not at the table. Number two of our four, the real enemies in your life are those people, things, ideas that try to keep you from being at the Lord's table. Enemies can be religious, for example. There's a way you could go about life where you're more concerned with table manners than being at the table with Jesus. Can I just, can I just say it that way? You need to sit up straight. The fork goes on the right or is it the left? I don't know. Measure it out. Here's what people at the table need to do. Do you know what God's desiring? Just sit at the table. You know what he does? Jesus tells you, I wash your feet at the table. I clean you up at the table. I'm with you at the table. I'll get you to the table. You don't have to prepare yourself for the table. I prepared the table. That's what the scripture is saying. Your spiritual enemies really don't care what you do so long as you don't really ever sit down at the table. They don't mind if you memorize the menu. Just don't eat. That's what David's getting at. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What is he actually saying? You don't have an enemy in your life that can keep you from the table. You don't. Do you believe that? Your enemy wants to convince you that there are other places better to live than at his table, but they're not. Your enemies are suggesting to you, hey, if you would uh, just kind of ignore that glorious God sitting at the table and decide that your life would be better if or when, and you just go anywhere else, your life would be better. That your, your real enemy is whoever is distracting you from maintaining an abiding relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. That you would never actually look to him for peace and stability. 
So you need to be very specific about who your enemies are. What keeps you distracted from him? Be as specific as possible. And then call it what it is. Your enemy. Oh, it's just scrolling. No, it's actually your enemy. Oh, it's just trying to be funny. That was me in high school. No, it's actually your enemy. The enemy doesn't mind you getting near the table. Just don't sit at it. The enemy doesn't care if you learn about other people who sit at the table. Just don't do it yourself. Can I put it another way? The greatest weapon against your, relationship, uh, against your enemies is a restored relationship with God. Got no counter to it, honestly. Like Joseph, you know, Potiphar's wife comes to him day after day after day. And he's, his response to her uh, insistence is not, I can't do this, I might lose my job. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, I can't do this, we might get caught. Do you know what he said? How could I do this and sin against my God? In other words, Potiphar's wife, all these things you're offering me pale in comparison to what I already have at the table. And Joseph, you better note this, had been through the valley of the shadow of death. He'd been through it. He says, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you have an abiding relationship, Jesus talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can read that in John 15 early, uh, later today. Uh, if you have that, if you have a restored, deep, abiding relationship with God, your enemy has no weapon against you that will prosper. In fact, this is how you should best understand temptation. Temptation in life is always about what leads you away from his table. So friends, can we just get to this point? Can we stop spinning our wheels about, well, can I do this? Can I watch that? Can I listen to this? Can I go here? Can I do that? Wasted time. Stop saying, is this bad for me? Start saying, does this lead me to his table? Does this lead me to his table? Because the trickiest enemy you've got has muddled all this up and gets you to a place where the table of the Lord to you seems boring. And I just have to tell you, if that's what you think about his table, you've never been there. You've never come close to sitting at his table. Because your creator has prepared a place for you. The emphasis is on what he's done. Any right relationship with God starts with what he's done well before any mention of what you've done. You prepare a table for me. So when you face decisions, if you've got choices to make, you just say, does this encourage me to abide at his table? We want little simple categories. And this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. We can think of it like this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and there is not one thing my enemies can do about it. God, help me to see that your table is better than anywhere else. Elsewhere, the psalmist says, better is one day, one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Hey, I got two more quick things. Come straight from verse five. Number three is the welcome you receive at his table is trustworthy. 
the welcome you receive at his table is trustworthy. That comes from uh, the statement, you anoint my head with oil. All right, so you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and the next statement says, you anoint my head with oil. Can I just tell you, every other table you try to sit with in life will have strings attached. You have a place at this table so long as you, and you can fill in the blank. The Lord's table is not that way. All of the strings attached have been destroyed by the death of Christ on your behalf. That's why the curtain in the temple, torn in two, top to bottom, way is open. I've prepared a place for you. You have been patterned to think if this relationship is going to work out or if I'm going to get this promotion or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, I have to do, fulfill these performances and obligations. But when he says, you anoint my head with oil... You've probably never had that happen. In fact, you'd probably think that was pretty weird. You show up for dinner with somebody, and they meet you at the door, and they say, hey, how are you doing? And they dump oil on your head. You just say, what is going on? Is this a prank? But in those days, you just got to know a little bit of the culture and the context. They didn't have some things that your bathroom has in abundance, like shampoo, deodorant, running water. In those days, you might take a bath once a year. So you can understand, you're going to sit down at a table with some people, there's a way you could do that, and it would be rather unpleasant. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we're all here gathered up. That's the context of Jesus with the disciples. You're going to wash these feet, wash these hands. We can, we're just going to sit here and have the Passover meal, and you're kind of dirty. So what would happen is a good host would anoint the guests with oil. What's the point? It would be so refreshing. might remember uh, someone doing this with Jesus. My alabaster jar. Break it open. I'm going to pour the whole thing. Right? It's a way to honor somebody. It's a way to welcome them. Now, the verb tense is interesting. Hang with me. The verb here in the Hebrew is a perfect tense verb for past time. In other words, the psalmist is a guest at a feast that will be spread before him in the near future. You've prepared a table. Hadn't sat down at it yet, but you've prepared it. I can see it. But you've anointed my head with oil. It's kind of what you do on the way to the table. And I'm only pointing that out is because that's probably how you should view your life. Anointed with oil. In other words, in Christ, I've been welcomed in. But you, I'm trying to say this uh, in a helpful, helpful way. You have a place at the table and in some measure, of course, have fellowship with God that befits the table, but the table in all its fullness is still to come. Does that make sense? But you've been anointed with the oil. You're, you're in. You ever been to a, a, a place uh, where there were name cards, right? And you had to go to the thing and say, oh, here's my name. Oh, I'm at table. Whatever. If your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you've got a place at the table. He's welcomed you. One of the most helpful things that some of us in the room this morning need to hear that in Christ, choosing my words carefully, in Christ, you're welcomed in. All that was forfeited and lost and distorted at the fall, Christ has restored, got a place for you at the table. Ever been somewhere that you didn't have a place at the table? Kind of weird, isn't it? Kind of awkward. Everything's set and then you show up and then the host is like, oh! Cram another chair in. Now we do that because we're fallible. God never does that. No, I, 
I've prepared a place for you. And then the fourth thing, last thing I'll say about the table is this. The provision at his table is overflowing. Provision at his table is overflowing. Um, One of the worst things that could happen in David's day is you welcome people in, they're at your table, and you run out. The context of Jesus turning the water into wine, the first miracle, right? They've said, oh, the host, we've got all these people at the wedding, and we're running out. Jesus, do something. And what Jesus' first miracle is, is pointing to this. God never runs out. His table, it doesn't run dry. It doesn't run out. The provisions that you need, it's not like you're going to say, there's no famine at the Lord's table. Can I get an amen? Has anyone ever found this to be true? My cup overflows. In Scripture, cup is a powerful metaphor. The cup kind of speaks about the sum of your life. If you were to say, if I'm going to uh, kind of give a, a, a physical object that represent the sum of my life, it would be a, be a cup. We have a few sayings in our day that get to the meaning of it. The cup, cup speaks to your lot in life. So, example, have you ever heard this? You made your bed, now lie in it. Anybody ever heard that? What, what, do, you, what do we mean by that? You made those decisions, now you got to deal with the consequences. You made your bed, now lie in it. So, so we sometimes say things like that. You choose a direction, now you have to deal with what you've decided. The, the cup's sort of like that. You drink from your own cup, meaning you drink on the basis of uh, the choices that you've made, the decisions you've made. That metaphor is extended, by the way, into the Garden of Eden. I'm sorry, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, if this, if this cup, not my cup, that cup's not the sum of my life, that cup's not the sum of my choices, that cup's not the sum of, of my decisions, but that's a cup full of other people's decisions, other people's sins. You ever sit down on the table and you say, I'm not going to drink out of their cup. It's my cup. What Jesus is saying, Father, if this cup can pass from me, may it be so. But not my will be done, but yours. What is he saying? I believe this is what he's saying. Father, if there is any way that we can prepare a table for them other than me drinking that cup, may it be so. And friends, there is no other way. There is no other way. He is the way, the truth, the life. And when he dies on the cross for your sins, that's the picture. He's drinking your cup. He's taking the, the, the sum of your life, but that's not all. He's trading you the sum of his. It's not just that he says, I'll take your cup. He's also saying, I'll give you mine. That's how I have prepared a place for you. And friends, can we please grab a hold of that? He's not done that. So your life is just about a bunch of rules, a bunch of regulations, a bunch of, I could do this or I could do that. Or I don't know which. No, it's, I want you back at my table. My favorite things in my life right now is I get home from work and I have a little place in our laundry room uh, that I hang my keys up. And usually the time I get home, Julie has Jenna our 16-month-old, in her high chair, and she's feeding her. And when I walk in, probably not going to happen much longer, so I'm trying to soak it in, I hear a little voice. You know what it says? Dad, dad, 
Da-da, da-da, da-da. And I hang up the keys, and I walk in, and she is, y'all, she is thrilled to see me. Thrilled to see me. My other children, depending on their age, and it decreases the older they get, and I love that, you know, they don't act like that. No, dad has home. Like my might look. No, no, they're, they're awesome. They all are. I don't mean like that. Are you thrilled to be at the Lord's table? Anything in your life you, you kind of lost? How glorious it is that he's prepared a place for you. That he drank your cup. Christ went to the cross and took our sin. Not to sentence to us Not to sentence us to a life of having to go to church and keeping a bunch of rules, but to redeem us so that we could have a restored and vibrant and life-giving relationship with God. David knows about this because Mephibosheth sat at his table. His enemy, the one who made a claim to his throne, the son of Saul, we'll see as we study his life. And something about the heart of God revealed to the heart of David that I'm like him. Crippled is the way the Bible describes Mephibosheth, meaning he could have never, number one, laid a claim to being at, the, at David's table, and number two, even if he could, he couldn't have gotten there himself. He had to be carried, and it was all contingent on the king saying, he can sit here. What I'm telling you is, in Christ, God Almighty has said, you can sit here. One of the last days I spent with my dad before he died was in the spring of 1994. I didn't know it was one of our last times. That's kind of how life works. We went to lunch to tell you how long ago this was. It was the K&W cafeteria at the old Terrytown Mall. Anybody remember? As best as I remember, it was in May. He died that August, but I remembered the day. After, after we ate lunch, he took me to the bookstore. Uh, maybe that's when I got the Truman biography. I don't know, but uh, we went to the bookstore and he bought a couple of books for me and I had a trip coming up with the church youth group. He gave me a little bit of money for the trip. Table, bookstore, money. When I look back on that day, which part of that day do you think I'd most want back? The books? What he gave me? The money? We couldn't go to K&W Cafeteria today, but I'd want the table back. Why? I wouldn't most want back what my dad gave me. I'd most want back the time spent at the table with him. So what do you love most about God? What he gives you or who he is? Friends, that's the same question as asking, are you near the table or at the table? Are you near the table, at the table? Where are you this morning in relation to the table that God has prepared for you? What would you say? Near it, but not at it. Maybe you'd say a million miles away. Or, my cup's overflowing, man. Because I am at the table. Wherever you are in relation to the table, here's the good news. That shepherd, he can come to where you are. And he can get you to the table 
he has prepared. He will anoint your head with oil, meaning he will welcome you in. And your cup will overflow, not run dry. Please hear what I'm saying. If your desire is to come to the table, he's prepared. Which is another way, I believe, of saying if you'll come in humility, in repentance, and in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is this place. This table is where the good shepherd wants to lead you. Prepare a table. I got some enemies. This might be your testimony. I got some serious enemies. I got some enemies. You're like David. He had enemies like Saul and all enemies. We'll see together. But I need you to know and trust on the authority of this word You don't have any enemy that can ever keep you from being at the table. They might be mighty. They're not that mighty. And may God bring it about that you desire above anything else in life to be at the table with your creator. In just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to pray. And what I'm going to invite you to do is simply to respond to the God who's prepared a table for you. Now, you can do that in a couple of ways. Hey, it's my joy. I'll stand right here, kind of, uh, um, not kind of, but to, to, to pray with anybody. You've got a concern in your heart. You might say, I'm a million miles away. I want to be at the table. Pray for me. I'd be, I'd be thrilled to do that. You might say, I've never, you know what? I might have been at church all my life, but I've spent my whole life near the table, not at it. And I don't want to pray or talk. We can do that now, and I always want to assure you, I'm never in a rush. There is something significant, though, in my opinion, to, uh, to the moment we're approaching. Oftentimes, if you put a decision off, you keep doing so. So the, the invitation is, do you want a place at the Lord's table? I'd love to talk to you about that. You might have somebody you want to pray for. I just want you to know the invitation is open. We desire it to be spirit-led. You can stand and stay right where you are and get some things resolved with the Lord. You're welcome to do that. But my prayer leading up to this moment would be that many of you in the room would say, I want to be at his table. Table he's prepared for me. So let's do this. Let's stand together. And we'll pray together. And respond together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the green pastures, still waters, passive righteousness. We pray you'd even give us grace to be thankful for the valley of the shadow of death because these are the places that you use in our lives to bring us to where you want us, and that is at your table. They criticized Jesus and said, he sits down at the table and eats with sinners and tax collectors. Well, their criticism is our praise. Praise God Almighty that he does. Praise God Almighty that we have a king who doesn't just sit and eat with sinners and tax collectors. He takes their cup and drinks it until there's not a drop left and trades it and blesses us with a cup that will never run dry. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We're praying that he is glorified and honored in these moments, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.